listening to sermon audio from Redeemer Church, where we are disciples of Jesus in life together, making disciples. Check out our other media, or to find out more information about our church, visit RedeemerSGF.com. Before we get started, there are a couple of things that we need to get out of the way. Have you ever watched a video that you find really, really funny, and you just have to share it? with your friends. It's so good, you want everyone to see it, because that will show how good you are, that you like something so good. Uh, you load up the video, and you're watching your friend's face, because you desperately want them to like this video as much as you do. Only there's a couple of minutes before you get to the good part, and that's when things get weird. You say, the best part's coming up, Hang on, get past this, it gets really good. Um, but that is not what the Bible is. We are, what we're about to read is God-breathed and is of the utmost importance, equally with the rest of the Bible. It's not something to hold your breath through and pretend that it's not there. Secondly, one thing to keep in mind is when Paul, uh, Paul means what he writes. If he were to say the sky is blue, he means the sky is blue. And there may be cultural nuance as to why he says the sky is blue, but that doesn't change the fact of what he's actually saying. But who knows? I'm no geologist, and let's go ahead and dive in. Today we're reading 1 Timothy chapter 2, Verses 8 through 15. Please open up your Bibles and read with me. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair, in gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness, with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, may we have ears to hear. May you soften our hearts to, to learn and to love your word. We thank you for your word. We thank you for how it challenges us and sanctifies us. We ask this morning that you will help us to understand and that nothing that comes from this pulpit will be from me, but only from you. You are great and kind that you share your word with us. May you have all glory and all honor from us today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we know from the previous sermons in 1 Timothy, false teachers have been at work. Not here, but in Ephesus. Paul continues here to break down 
what teachings have crept in and influenced the church. He addresses both the men and the women, and he starts with the men. So we'll break this into sections, and I'll read to us verse 8 again. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. A couple of weeks ago, Austin explained that Paul was telling Timothy how to wage good warfare. As Paul continues, he is giving some correction to the men of the Ephesus. He sees a need for change in how the men of the church were meeting for worship. It seems that worshiping the Lord was being done with gritted teeth and white knuckles between rolled eyes to the families next to them or even full-blown arguing in the church. Let's not pretend that we haven't done the same. Maybe something has just irked you about a choice that another family has made that affected you or didn't. Maybe it was a part of the cultural sticking point of the week that you are obviously in the correct side of. We can easily come into this time of worship completely unfocused on the Lord and thinking about ourselves and all of the garbage that we bring with us each week. But Paul is saying, pray with holy hands, free of anger or quarreling. Even that feels like a lot to ask. Psalm 24 says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. And who has clean hands? Only Jesus. Romans 8.34 says, Christ Jesus is the one who died, and more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. And, And Paul even talks about this right before this section. The only access we have to the throne of God is through our mediator. Neither you nor the party that you're upset with has it correct enough to stand before the Lord. But Christ, as your mediator, and equally your neighbor's mediator, gives you this previously unobtainable access. We should not treat this intercession casually by leaving sin unrepentant in our lives. Jesus tells us himself in... um, He tells us himself in Matthew 5, 23 through 24, if you are offering your gift at the altar there and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled with your brother and then come and offer your gift. We must remember this as we come and worship together as a body. We take this seriously for communion. Every week, we understand not to partake in an unholy manner. So what freedom we will find in worship. Uh, If we bring these grudges to Jesus to repent and depend on his mercy for us, you will find peace and joy in this. And with how often that we've been taught to pray, which is constantly, this does not allow 
grudges and bitterness towards each other to linger. It cuts it off at the root. Romans 12 shows us how to interact with each other. And here are just a couple of verses out of that. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. We're called to love one another enough to care about how we worship together. And there is truly a togetherness that comes from confessing sin to one another, and it directs the gaze off of ourselves and off of one another and towards God, the one worthy of worship. After Paul instructs the men, he speaks to the women in 9 verse 10 and on. Uh, So we'll read uh, verses 9 and 10 again. Likewise, also, that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness, with good works. In the same way that the men were dividing and taking the focus off of the Lord in the church, the women were also directing focus to themselves. They were doing this by the way they were dressing, using clothing and jewelry to attract eyes. They came into the gathering with all hopes to be what people talked about that day. Or possibly even worse, to cause jealousy or to seduce others. Paul calls them to dress modestly. Now, this did not come with a specific dress code. And yes, there is some cultural context. Now, jewelry does not necessarily come with high society significance that it meant at the time of writing. Um, But what they were doing in that case was taking their old culture, rife with lust and hedonism, into the church and behaving in a way that nobody would be able to tell that they were a new creation. So in that way, the cultural context really hasn't changed that much. And that's why we don't get to brush these verses off. Christianity in America has the very real danger to look exactly like the world around us. Men and women, we get to ask ourselves, does my life to the outside world look any different except for how I spend my time on Sunday mornings? And even then, maybe not so much. Christian, we are called to humility like Christ. The standard for how we dress, how we talk, go in public, interact with each other, consume media, spend our time, and everything else. Excuse me. Uh, The standard for those things is not just what we feel comfortable with that day. It is about how every single action can bring the attention from us and to the one worthy, again, of attention. Different cultures all have different dress codes, and modesty can mean different things to each. But this does not equal an easy out to do whatever we want and just boil it down to a cultural issue. Dress appropriately. 
If your goal with how you dress is what you can get away with, you're starting in the wrong place. Live with self-control. Consider how you appear to others around you. Consider what you post on social media. Is it glorifying to you and your greatness, or is it glorifying to God? Paul says, instead of adorning yourself in ways that build you up, adorn yourself in good works. It is not about finding the correct physical posture to start with, but the spiritual posture that should dictate the outworkings, the way God intended, both transcending over cultures and specific within cultures. It will look very different from the norm of the world. Adorn yourself with things that do not pass away. Fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is eternal treasure that God delights in, where all other beauty and wealth will pass away. That bit of attention or compliments that you're hoping for will not buy an iota of time or lasting joy to your life. And it is not worth attempting at the expense of disobeying the one that sets the order in the first place. And so Paul goes on to give some further instruction. Let's go ahead and read verses 11 and 12 again, which you all have no doubt memorized from your rubber VBS wristbands from all those summers. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. The other example that women in Ephesus were following from the false teachers in the church was to disrupt and to be divisive. Paul is calling them to stop following that example and to learn humbly. To our 21st century eyes, this can certainly look appalling. We as believers have to look at this with the understanding that this is God's word and not something that is destructive or has the purpose of holding up man-made power structures. This is not something that some old white dude has written to uphold the patriarchy. And we'll touch on this in a moment. Paul continues in verse 12 to say he does not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. So what can we say about this? Is Paul pushing women into a lower category? Do women have less of an ability to teach or to lead? Absolutely not. So why this distinction in the context of the church? Men and women are made in God's image, both with unique ways of expressing his glory. The symbolism of men and women as compared with Christ and the church is very important. And that is why the world will always be at odds with this value. I won't read the entire passage, but Ephesians 5, 22 through 33 tells wives to submit to their husbands as the church submits to Christ, and husbands to love your wives as Christ loves the church. This is not because men are in some way little gods to rule over women, but it is because of a deep and mysterious symbolism that God has set from the beginning. It is not a curse to have these designations, but a great honor. 
Paul addresses both genders separately, but with the same goal, to glorify God. God's greatest gift to himself, or excuse me, God's greatest gift to us is himself. When we idolize other roles that were not made for us, we tell God that we want something else instead. It would be like if an Olympic gymnast and a rugby player wanted to switch places. Both of those sports take incredible amount of skills and are really fun to watch. But if those athletes swapped, it would be a disaster. They were made for their own sport. Paul tells us that these things are proper. They are right. It is not a burden to obey the Lord, but it is life-giving. And it is important beyond our own understanding. So let's break down what this means practically in the church. What is Paul saying when he says women are to learn quietly? How do we live this out practically? We have to understand both of those verses together. Paul doesn't say, women must stay quiet under all circumstances once you enter the doors of the church, no exceptions. He follows this up saying, he does not permit women to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Instead, she is to remain quiet. So this is within the context of leadership. There is a range that Orthodox churches understand what exactly this means. But complementarian believers agree on this, that women are not to be elders in the church. Paul talks about teaching and authority in the same breath, which are main responsibilities of the elders in the church. In fact, right after this section, Paul continues on to give the qualifications of the elders. Paul is not telling women to shut their mouths when they enter the church. We worship together. Women have teaching roles, just not in positions of authority over men. This is not a weapon to silence women or to keep them from having questions or thoughts. They are just not made to be elders in the church. So is Paul being mean or arbitrary? He explains further in the next verses. There is a biblical order present all the way from Genesis, and Paul elaborates. So let's look at 13 through 15. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. This as well has to be seen through a symbolic lens. That is not to say these events did not occur, because it is their very realness that makes this important in the first place. The very first sin involved Satan mixing up the roles that were assigned to Adam and Eve. Adam was the leader, and Satan bypassed and went straight to Eve. The wrong way to interpret this would be to say women are more prone to being deceived. This is not the case. What we can say is that the roles were there from the start. And the subversion of them made a lasting impact. We try to deny them, so where is the hope? Paul is not saying that a woman who wants to go to heaven better have a baby. Again, we find symbolism here. 
And there are a couple of ways of understanding this. First, we do know that salvation is through Christ alone. Paul does not contradict himself on these teachings. Romans 8 tells us that there are three aspects of salvation. Justification, sanctification, and glorification. As one brother has walked through this, are women justified by having babies? No. Are women uh, glorified by having babies? Also, no. Possibly sanctified? Yes, in part. Raising a child is something that challenges and sanctifies and grows and refines parents. The bigger picture here is what it represents. Following the order that God has given us is good for us. Not as a requirement to be married and have kids. As Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 7, uh, chapter 7, verse 38, you'll do even better not to be married. But to obey is to work towards sanctification. The other aspect of the symbolism here stays in Genesis. The lineage of Jesus is important. And from the offspring of the woman will come someone who will bruise the serpent's head. Jesus is the one who saves us. And once again, we see the attention being taken off of us and laid firmly on Christ. God gave men and women distinct and equal roles, but each with the same purpose and the same potential. The overlapping goal is for us to decrease and for him to increase. As a man, my role in the home looks different than my wife's. It's my responsibility to lead and to present my family with the gospel daily. Ephesians 5 says, The way I love my wife is to give myself up for her, the way Christ did for the church, sacrificially washing her in the water of the word. Her role is to submit to this leadership, the way church submits to Christ. We use husbands and wives as an example, but this order applies to single people too, not in a way of some random guy having any and all authority over any woman. That is not what this means. But we are talking about everyone submitting to Christ. May he have all glory from our lives, from how we interact with each other to how we worship together.